0: balderdash, but there are five different categories where you're trying to figure out something, like maybe the definition of a word. But if you have no idea what that word means, your goal is to write a definition that other people will actually think is the right one. Well, one of the categories is initials. And so it might say something like uh, N-P-L-A. And if you're like, what does that mean? You have to decide what it means. And so maybe you write like National Peanut Lovers Association or something like that. And so then everyone goes around and reads their N-P-L-A and you try to decide which one is correct. And so I was thinking about this idea of initials, and there's a lot of things that we know by their initials, even though we may not know what it stands for. Like if I did say PB&J, you'd probably go, well, you automatically know that's peanut butter and jelly. But let me give you some other initials, and we're going to find out how well you know these. So you can tell someone next to you if you want to. You can do it in your own head. If you don't tell anyone, you can be like at the end, I got all of them, you know, whatever you want. It doesn't matter. But let's see how you do on these initials. So the first one, if I were to say IRS, what does that stand for? So you can tell someone next to you. you got, you're like, all right, you knew that one. International Revenue Service. What if I told you FBI? What is that one? Okay. So Federal Bureau of Investigation. How about SWAT? Do you know what SWAT is? Not quite as loud. <laughs> it is Special Weapons and Tactics. All right. This one I heard at my son's uh, Scholars Bowl this last week. NATO. What does NATO stand for? North Atlantic Treaty Organization. All right. How about the IOC? Do you know IOC? The International Olympic Committee. Do you know what NASA stands for? NASA. So it's the National Aeronautics and Space Administration. How about SCUBA? Do you know SCUBA actually stands for something? SCUBA. SCUBA. It is a self-contained underwater breathing apparatus. So that is what SCUBA stands for. What about YMCA? You sing about it or you dance to it. YMCA, what does that stand for? It is the Young Men's Christian Association. How about EGR? EGR. I actually had to Google, what does EGR stand for? If you're a car person, you might know, because there's something with cars that gets this EGR, that says the exhaust gas recirculation, okay? Yeah, that's not me. I don't have a clue on any of that EGR. But the reason that I looked up those letters, EGR, is because those initials actually mean something different to me. In fact, someone mentioned this to me back when I was in college, and I have always remembered this, that certain people are defined as EGR. What that means is extra grace required. There are certain people that are just extra grace required that, you know what, you got to show a little bit more patience, a little bit more grace with this person. And we've been talking about loving others, and sometimes it is easy to love people, but sometimes it's not. You know what? Maybe you have that list already going in your mind of who are those EGR people in your life because we all know certain people that are that way. But the truth is, well, you have probably been that to somebody at some point in your life as well. Extra grace required. I'm going to tell you this morning's sermon is one that you probably don't want to hear. Going to be honest, I don't want to hear it myself either. But God wants us to love other people even when it's hard. Even when it's hard, we are called to love other people. In fact, Kyle Eidelman writes in his book, One at a Time, he says, What Jesus teaches contradicts the, mo- or the way most of us think. His teaching will challenge your innate perspective and your cultural understanding when it comes to your relationships. As you read this chapter, you will probably feel defensive at times. You will think of a person or a situation in your life, and you'll begin to justify or rationalize. What Jesus asks will go against your instinct, living the one-at-a-time life. It may feel unnatural or uncomfortable at first, but Jesus makes it clear that if you align your life and relationships with his way of treating people, that you will be blessed and you will make a difference. And so this morning, I want to look at two different sets of Jesus's words. They both have to deal with loving other people, even EGR people, and both of them refer to this idea of going the extra mile. And so our main thought this morning is this, when extra grace is required, go the extra mile. When extra grace is required, Go the extra mile. And so if you have your Bibles or devices, open up to Luke chapter 10. We're going to start at verse 25. In the first text that we're looking at this morning, there is a man in the crowd who is trying to get it. All right. Now, again, maybe he's trying to justify himself. Maybe he really is trying to figure out, am I doing the things that I need to do? Maybe he has a sincere heart, but maybe he's simply wanting a pat on the back more than anything. And so in Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25 through 29, this is what we read. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So here we have this teacher of the law, this expert who thought he was doing enough to get eternal life. And when Jesus actually asked him this question, okay, so what do you, what does it say in scripture? He actually answers with scripture. Things you would find in the Old Testament about loving God and loving other people, except He still missed it. He still thinks it's all about what do I do to inherit eternal life. But it's not about what you do. It's about what God does in you. It's all about relationship. This relationship that I have with God that then spills out as I interact with other people. And this man, he thinks his actions are going to speak for themselves. So even he feels this need to justify himself, to put himself in the spotlight Do you know anyone that can recite all the right answers, but they miss the question? Like they just can't process what's really being asked. And so in this moment, Jesus does what he often does, and he tells a story. And many of us know it as the Good Samaritan. So let's read verses 30 through 37. It says, in reply, Jesus said this, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. And then he put the man on his own donkey. He took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And so that's the story in its entirety as they would have heard it. But I want to break it down because they understand some cultural pieces that maybe we miss just because things are different or we don't know the terrain quite as well. And so when he started out talking about, hey, this man was going on this road from Jerusalem to Jericho and he's alone, immediately like these warning lights would have gone off and people like, oh, that's a bad idea. Like that is not the road that you should be going on by yourself. This road is 17 miles. It has all sorts of cliffs and caves right next to it. The road itself was really narrow. It's in the middle of the desert. There are no cities around. Thieves and robbers constantly hung out there, so much so that it became known as the Pass of Blood. Like, that's what people referred to this road as. So as people are listening to this story, they're automatically going, oh, they should not be doing that. And here's this man walking alone, thinking nothing's going to happen to him, maybe like we do sometimes but it does, but he doesn't just get robbed. He gets beaten up and left dehumanized where he has absolutely zero percent chance of making it on his own. But the good news is there's a priest, this priest, he comes by on this road. He sees the guy, except it tells us that he goes to the other side. I mean, that road's not very big, little bit to the other side, almost stepping over him as he passes by, but the story's not done because then there's a Levite who comes and sees him, but he does the exact same thing. I mean, these guys are religious leaders, and Jesus purposely chose people who know Scripture to be these characters in his story. Like, imagine if we're talking today, you think about two of the most religious, godly people you know, and in the story, they see this person lying half dead, and they walk right by. They both had the means to help, but they didn't. I wonder why. Like maybe they had other stuff to do that day. Maybe they're just thinking, well, someone else is going to come. Or maybe they're even like, I know I should stop, but the guilt's not that big. Maybe they just think there's another guy on the side of the road. Like just every road I go to, there seems to be a guy on the road and I can't help everyone. So they walk by. Maybe they're looking out for their own safety. The truth is it's a parable. We don't know why they choose not to help, but they don't. But then Jesus mentions this Samaritan And you need to know that Samaritans and Jews, they absolutely hated one another. Like simply mentioning the other's name begins those deep, angry feelings that you have. And so Jesus mentions the Samaritan in this context, not only choosing the enemy to most of them, but he makes this enemy the hero, the example that we are supposed to follow. So here's the Samaritan. He sees this man. He takes pity on him. When other people are zooming in on other things, he sees the man, and he feels pity. Or maybe the word could be compassion, this gut response where something shifts inside of you. In fact, that word is only used here and anytime it talks about how Jesus feels for people. And so the Samaritan, he went down to the man. Like he got down to go to him. He had to meet him where he was at. He got his hands dirty. He came down to this bleeding and naked guy, and I can imagine it's somewhat awkward, and yet he did it because of his love for someone else. He is going to get this guy where he needs to go. He's going to make sure that his needs are taken care of. And one at a time living requires seeing people and being present, and showing extra mile love. Now, this story was told with the intention of kind of hitting the expert in the law and what he had asked. And so then Jesus asks him, okay, which one of these three characters showed love? And the expert mentioned the one who had mercy. I don't know if you realize he still can't even say the word Samaritan. Like even in the stories, like I can't do that. The one who showed mercy, and Jesus simply says, go and do likewise. And you and I, we are called to love people. We're called to go the extra mile, even for someone that may not be like you, or for someone who may be hard to love. But I get that can seem pretty impossible, because when we're talking real life, we're talking real people, not just characters in a story, maybe people who have hurt you, maybe even time and time again, Or maybe someone who you just do not like and you do not know what to do with. As Matt Reagan points out in his sermon, he says, It becomes much easier to love others when I realize that I too am the guy in the middle of the road. Or at least I was. Have any of you ever spent years of being alone because of choices that you are making? or even pride that was leading your life, or it had to be my way, thinking I can make it down this path, I don't need anyone else, nothing bad is gonna happen to me, but then you were ambushed? Anyone remember that because of sin, we were enemies to God, and we were exposed and ashamed, and we were helpless, and maybe people were walking right by you. Do you remember that first time that you looked up and realized that Jesus saw you? And the compassion that he had for you, you could feel it. You were overwhelmed with the fact that he left heaven and came down, and then he continued to come down for you time and time again. And even in your nakedness and shame, it did not keep him separated from you. Maybe today is really the first day that you're hearing about what God's love really is for this first time man if you're being honest you feel like you're pretty beat up that life has got some pretty good punches on you and it's kind of just left you for dead i want you to know that god doesn't look at you and simply walk by he wants to rescue you if you let him that is the whole purpose of why jesus came to earth And the great thing is, you don't just have to take my word for it. There are so many people in this room that if you were to talk to them, you could hear the rescue story and the life that has come because of what Jesus has offered them. I'm going to tell you, I've been praying specifically for today that some of you who have not given your life to Christ, you're holding on tight that I have to be the one in charge, will simply let go and say, okay, God, I am ready to follow wherever you lead me. Now, I'll also tell you this, for those of us who are already Christ followers, we don't love extra grace-required people well simply because we try harder, and we don't serve them well because we serve out of guilt, but again, because we remember who we are and what Jesus has done for me. We see the person in front of us for who they are. We recognize their scars, and we realize that they're not so different than ours, And we want them to be healed by Jesus as well. And so for some of you, to help you show that extra mile love to others, you simply just need to be reminded of God's love for you and where you've come from. For others, maybe there's a specific challenge from Jesus' words that come from the Sermon on the Mount. So if you still have your Bibles or your devices, turn to Matthew chapter five, verse 38 is where we're gonna be starting in just a moment. And as you're turning there, just to let you know, the Sermon on the Mount, it's one of the sermons that a lot of people know that Jesus spoke. It gives some core teachings for this idea of one at a time living, because Jesus, he raised the bar for so many aspects of what it means to live as a Christian, like the idea of doing our religious practices. We do them for the praise of God, not to be praised by other people said, you want to live this life of being set apart? These are ways to do it. says, you want to really love other people? This is how you should do it. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says over and over again, you have heard that it was said, but I say. Now, you need to understand that he is not contradicting the Old Testament law, but what he's doing is he's clarifying it. He's showing its deeper meaning of what God wanted when he gave the commands. He's addressing the motives behind the actions And I think that's really important for us to hear today because like right now we have a culture that is trying to remove biblical authority. Like even within churches, we have people trying to pull it away saying it's not that important. It's simply, uh, you just need to love Jesus. You need to trust your feelings and everything is going to be good. Like that's really what pure religion is. And I would disagree wholeheartedly because you look at Jesus and he held the scriptures with utmost importance knowing that God has a purpose when he's trying to communicate with his people. We are saved by Jesus and by his sacrifice. But then how do we live as a result of that is contained within his words. In fact, our understanding largely of who Jesus is comes from his words. And I can guarantee that we're not going to figure something out that Jesus didn't simply by trusting our feelings and seeing what works in our culture today. So what exactly does Jesus want us to know about loving others from this text? Let's read Matthew 5, verses 38 and 39. It says, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And we'll stop right there. So he said, you've heard it, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. That is an Old Testament law. It allowed for this idea of exact uh, retribution. If someone does something to you, you can do it back to them because, you know, something bad happened and so this is okay. However, that should not exceed the offense. Whatever you do back that is allowed underneath the law, you should not one up the person. But how many times do we not just want to get back at someone? We want like payback. We want to make sure that they feel what they have done to us. Uh, in fact, even Kyle Eidelman talked about something as simple as honking of the horn. He says, you know what, you honk at me, I'm gonna honk back. Like before your honk is even done honking, I've already started to honk. I'll honk over, your t- uh, over the top of your honk and I won't stop honking until your honk stops because I will out honk you every single time. And maybe some of you are like, okay, I'm married to someone like that, that is me. You know, like I'm gonna make sure that I get the last word because we wanna make sure whoever messes with us, they're not gonna do it again. But this text here, When Jesus is talking, he says, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And this is a big cultural difference because we need to understand something that they would have. You see, this has nothing to do with physical hitting as far as any abusive situation, anything like that. So I need you to understand, if you're in a situation where someone is hitting you and they're like, hey, the Bible says this, that is completely out of context. You need to get out of there and talk to someone. But what this has to do with is culture. And in their culture, shame and humiliation, shame and honor were really big deals. And if someone slapped you, especially if they backhanded slapped you on your right cheek, because they would have used their right hand, it was a grave insult. And so that's what Jesus is saying. If someone insults you, then don't fight back. And so for you, do you have people in your life that they have it out for you? Like they are provoking you or they're antagonizing you. Maybe they're quite passive aggressive towards you. Maybe when they come in the same room, you can feel your blood pressure start to rise. And as much as you want to fight back or you even want to one up them on what they say or what they do, Jesus says, don't engage in that way. Don't get so easily offended. Don't mouth off. And that's not how you're gonna feel in the moment. Like you are gonna want to do those things but if you don't, people will notice. Let's keep reading verse 40. Jesus says this, if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, or some of yours might say shirt, let him have your cloak as well. So maybe you're sitting there going, what? Like I'm just supposed to give away my wardrobe, my Christmas presents, my Father's Day presents. Okay, well, they can have that, you know, whatever. But like this idea of, am I just supposed to give this stuff away? Here's what happens. In that time period, people might have owned multiple shirts or tunics. However, cloaks, most people would have only owned one. And because certain times were cold, you would use this cloak as a blanket. So you actually couldn't sue someone for their cloak because it was a basic need. But Jesus is saying here, in relationships, there are times to let go of your rights. There are moments that, do I have the right to be angry? Yep. Do I even maybe have the right to get even? Yes. But what if I choose to give up my right simply to love my enemy? What if in this moment that this hard to love person has done something wrong to me, I see it as an opportunity to show love instead of simply seeing them as opposition? You know, a couple of nights ago, my family, we watched God's Not Dead 3. I don't know if you've ever seen any of them. But in that, this exact thing is what happens to make the difference that someone decides to show love instead of having to win, having to be right. And in the end, it's what brings unity, which is what Jesus says that we should do. Let's look at verse 41. It says this, If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And so that's where we get our saying of going the extra mile, because Roman soldiers, by law, they could force civilians into acts of service, but there were limitations. And so a soldier could force a Jew to carry his pack for one mile, but not any further. They had no alternative to carrying it. They had to do that. But most of them would go there one mile and not take one step further, and they would drop their pack there. Because you and I, we hate it. We hate being forced to do something, especially if the person who is forcing us to do it is someone that we don't like or we don't get along with. And Jesus says, Hey, I want you to go the extra mile. Like, is that crazy talk? Well, think about this. When a Jew finished his mile, he drops his pack and he goes home and he's probably pretty angry. (laughs) for having to do what was forced. And so then when he's home and angry, you've probably been there. He maybe takes it out on his wife, maybe takes it out on his kids, maybe kicks the dog, you know, all those kind of things. He's just angry for the rest of the night. But now think about that same person again. And he decides to carry the pack farther than a mile. He's actually not giving up his power. He's taking it back. He's saying, I am choosing to do this. You are not making me do this, and I'm actually getting my dignity back because it's my choice. Now, sure, the Roman soldier may have laughed because, hey, I just got two for one. But on the flip side, you don't think other people maybe notice what's going on? So for us, if someone insults you, can you say something nice back? If someone criticizes you, can you give them a compliment? If someone blames them, can you bless them? Let's say your waiter or waitress is kind of short with you. What if you give them a bigger tip? What if your boss is grumpy or demanding and you choose to pray and give them an encouraging note? i tell you, this is not the way we think, but if we choose to go the second mile, you will be blessed and you will make a difference. The last verse in this section, verse 42, says, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And I'm sure you know people who are always asking or taking, but they're never giving. And hear me, there is a time that you need to step away, you need to refresh. Because if you are always giving, 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 but never replenishing, then you will be empty. But I also want you to know that maybe God has you in that place to invest in that EGR person. And I get that all of this kind of sounds crazy, but I'd also point you to the very next section in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus talks about. It says, with your enemies, love them and pray for them. And I can tell you, as you pray for those who are the EGR people who are frustrating to you, who may even be an enemy, God will work on your heart because you can't continually pray for someone and still hate them. Now, it may not come as quickly as you'd like, but God will work on your heart as you are praying for that person. So Kyle, he tells a story in his book of someone at his church and he just calls him Jake for the story. But this guy named Jake, he stole about $200 worth of things from a business. But the owner, he used a security camera and he was able to figure out who it was uh, based off of you know, the camera and the license plate of the car right in front of his store. And so he filed a report with the police and then he had to decide, what am I gonna do next? I could take this eye for eye approach and I can make him pay. Like Jake would face up to $1,000 uh, for a fine, a year in prison but the owner really didn't want to ruin his life and take that from him. And so he felt like, okay, God, what do you want me to do? Like really what he wanted to do was have Jake come in and he just yelled at him saying, what do you think you're doing? And yet God wouldn't allow that to happen. And so what the owner decided to do was he left Jake a message. He said, I want you to come by the store. Well, the next day, Jake's dad came by the store and he apologized. He said, please don't press charges. He returned what was stolen. He even offered extra money and even explained that his son had some addiction struggles. Well, the owner of the store was grateful that the dad stopped by, but he said, I'd really like Jake to come by. And so the next day, Jake came by the store and he apologized. And the owner looked at him and he said, I want you to know that I forgive you, but I just have one thing that I want you to do. I want you to come to church with me this week." And so Jake agreed and went and sat at church with him, and that church was actually able then to connect him to an inpatient treatment center for his addiction that started his own road to recovery. But the story doesn't stop there, because Jake's sister later comes by the shop. And speaks to the owner and says, you know what? Me and my husband, we have been going to this church for quite a while. And we've invited Jake. We've invited our parents to come. And they have never shown any interest until now. So what changed? There was a follower of Jesus who chose to go the extra mile and show love instead of getting even. Instead of being right. Instead of holding tightly to his rights. If you and I go the extra mile when EGR people are around us, God will work in you first, but he will work through you as well. And I get this can be hard, but I'll tell you that Jesus isn't asking us to do something that he hasn't done. In Philippians 2, it tells us that he left heaven and he became a servant and was obedient to death on a cross. And then it says in that same text that we are to put others' needs in front of our own. In Jesus' last days, he was falsely accused. He was unjustly arrested, He was violently beaten, he was brutally mocked, and he was nailed to a cross in humiliation. But do not mistake Jesus' love for weakness. He knew its soldier hit him when he was blindfolded, and they were laughing at him and say, prophesying, "Who tell us? Who hit you?" He knew. He could have answered every one of Pilate's questions and proved his innocence. He could have called down 12 legions of angels, or 72,000 angels, to stop the entire process of his death at any moment. And I can guarantee those angels, they were probably waiting on the word, ready to come. But instead, he endured every insult. Every punch, every crack of the whip, every cry of agony, every drop of blood, so that you and I can be saved. And as he opened his mouth on the cross, and I bet those angels were ready to come into action, his words out of his mouth weren't just kill them all. They weren't just curse them all to hell. His words were, Father, forgive them. It might be unnatural to think of it this way, it might be countercultural might even be hard. But when you're mistreated, when you're taken advantage of, it provides you an opportunity to love and to live like Jesus. And maybe, just maybe, your greatest impact in life might come from one offense done to you at a time, or one insult at a time, one irritation at a time, or one aggravation at a time. When extra grace is required, let's go the extra mile. Let's pray. God, we just first and foremost wanna thank you that you didn't hold on to your rights and saying, yeah, I'm not gonna do anything. They've chosen to disobey me. Jesus, you came down and you endured all of this, the cross, the scorn, just for us so that we can be reconciled to you, that we could have life again, that we could be with you for eternity. And so we just begin by thanking you for that. God, help us not to just take the love for us for granted. May we remember where we've always come from and how you rescued us. God, I pray that you would help us to love EGR people. Maybe we know who that is. Maybe there will be people this week that just pop into our lives. God, help us to go that extra mile in those moments. And not for our own sake, but for yours in the kingdom. God, I do continue to pray for those that don't know you yet, that are still holding on to their ways. And I pray, God, that they would see the freedom that you offer the real life and allow themselves to be rescued. God, as we live this week, I just pray that people would see you in us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.